to Fidget, a BFRB podcast. Hello, everyone. It's Jason. I hope you're all having a great day out there in Fidgetland. I want to welcome you to another experimental episode. As a reminder, Adele and I are trying to alternate these episodes with our open conversation ones. For today's episode, I want to talk about loneliness. Loneliness is something I felt for so long with my BFRB. I spent a decade cloaked in this unspoken shame. And so for today's episode, we're exploring the importance of community in combating that shame. Let's begin with our first guest. Great. So my name is Barbara Lally. I have trichotillomania. I've had trichotillomania since I was 10 years old. And this year I turned 30. So for 20 years, when I first got it between the ages like 10 and I would say 13, that was my darkest moment. I had absolutely no control. I was pulling incessantly. You know, I had huge bald spots that were hard to hide. I had no eyelashes at all, like top or bottom. I had no eyebrows like this. That moment was I have no idea what I'm doing. Everyone's looking at me like what is with her? And I couldn't give any answers. I also felt so much pressure to give others answers. I couldn't look people in the eye when I talked. What am I supposed to say? It just happens. And I'd lie to their face. My friends, my family, their disappointment clung to me. The cuts on my hands, a daily reminder of my weakness, my deception, my inability to stop and tell the truth. It was paper mache on in a thick, heavy coat of lies. Uh, like Adele had mentioned in her, in one of your episodes, she told the doctors that she didn't know she was doing it. You know, I did the same thing. I was like, oh, I have no idea. Cause I, I kind of knew if I told the truth, it would be perceived a certain way. I thought I was going to get in trouble. Like that was like the root of my fear was I'm doing this thing. I know I'm not supposed to because well, I, in my head, I'm thinking that because I've never seen anyone else do it. So I think, oh, this is bad. Like I'm doing something wrong and I don't want my parents to be mad at me because I can't figure out why. And I don't want the doctors to be like, it's her fault. You know, I didn't want that responsibility. I was so scared. You know, I was this little kid. And so, yeah, I definitely had a fear of like getting in trouble. You know, I didn't want to. I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't know what to do. And it's not just little Barbara and little Jason who doesn't know. When I first developed trichotillomania, the knowledge was like not there. Like there were some things like they thought it was self-harm. They thought it was a part of OCD. And for some people it might be, but for, they found out later, it's this whole different thing. So, you know, I've been to many therapists and they didn't even know like what it was. Like I'm 11 educating someone who's in their fifties who studies this. It's a very special kind of loneliness when even the professional doesn't have answers. Loneliness is a huge factor. I felt extremely lonely. I'm like, I'm the only one who does this. Like, I'm a freak. Like, I'm, you know, that's where the negative self-talk started coming in at like 10 years old. Like, what are you doing? So yeah, I was super lonely. I, even if I wanted to, and I did confide in some of my friends as a young child and, you know, middle school, high school. Even then, like, I, I don't think they understood. How could you unless you have something like that? They're like, okay. You know, they might have been, 
they might have been like supportive in the way that they thought was best, which, you know, you know, thanks for trying your best. But until you meet someone who like gets it, gets it. Oh, it's it's like the loneliest place on earth, you know? It's tough. Here we sit, the loneliest place on earth. Professionals don't know what's going on. We've lied to all our friends. How do we meet people who get it, get it? Well, I met Barbara through her Instagram called The Trickster Diaries. Through it, you can find many stories and trick talks and Instagram live show and podcast. But how does Barbara go from an 11-year-old lying to doctors to having an Instagram about it? Where I'm at right now, take it even four years ago, never would I have thought I would be like talking about this with my face showing like I would be scared to death. Like I was so scared even to start the Trickster Diaries. I remember after a few months, I put like the initial B and I'm like, oh, they're going to know it's me. Like I was so, even that something so, I never put my face, something so small as my first initial scared me to death. What does Barbara do next? She writes a book. I thought about writing the book in, like, I was falling asleep. And then I thought, oh, wouldn't that be interesting? Like, I never spoke about it, like, ever really, you know, publicly or anything. Um, and I thought, wouldn't that be interesting? Like, you know, you know, you don't hear many stories like that. And I have a bunch of, like, these funny and sometimes not funny stories. And so I then thought that was a whole struggle of, like, how do I go about this in a way that's going to make me comfortable at the time? I was scared to death, like talking on the phone with my, one of my best friends ever. I'm red in the face, like blushing. Like I'm so almost embarrassed to like have this idea. And so everyone was like, no, you have to, like you have to. Like her Instagram page, Barbara's book is called The Trickster Diaries. By the fact that you've made it this far into the episode, I'm going to say you should read this book. Because the book was written for you. It was written for me. It was it was written for all of us. The best way I could put it is if I had a book like this when I was 10 and I saw that she, I could cry, but I saw that she like made it out okay. You know, because when I was younger, I didn't know if I would be okay. I just didn't. And so if I had a book where the person who's like struggling, even the worst times, you know, the worst as I got, she ends up okay then I feel like I might end up okay. And so that that was like the driving force of like, I need to be here and do that for my younger self and then hopefully like little kids or anyone who, who doesn't even know that it exists and that they're, yeah. you know, by themselves when they're not. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to hear from Barbara a little later. But before that, I want to introduce a few more people. So I'm Eric, and uh, my BFRB is skin picking or dermatillomania. Uh, I've been uh, suffering with it for since childhood, about 25 years. Kind of struggled on and off with it. Um, gets worse during times of stress, and sometimes I'm able to control it, but usually uh, it controls me. <laughs> I met Eric at a support group. I asked Eric how he first got involved with it. About, let's see, a little less than a year ago, I uh, found a support group called Picking Me. And when I read through the, uh, the website that the founder had put together with all the stories of people who picked their skin, I, I got real emotional because it just it totally hit home on exactly what I was going through uh, ever, ever since I was a kid. And 
it, it was just amazing to see that there was someone out there on the internet that, uh, that also suffered like I did and struggled with this disorder. One of my favorite places in the world is the Beattie Biodiversity Museum. It's a museum on the campus at the University of British Columbia, where I went to school. If you're ever in Vancouver, totally hit me up and we could go. Everyone calls it the Whale Museum, because in the atrium, there's a blue whale skeleton suspended from the ceiling. This thing is huge. It is 26 meters long, or 85 feet. I'm someone who's really bad at visualizing distances, so for me, 26 meters doesn't mean anything. It's just a number. I just looked up a picture of this skeleton, and I mean, it's still pretty cool. But nothing like when I'm standing directly under it and looking up at this giant animal. It hits different. In the same abstract way, I can understand that other people pick their skin. 5% of the population. 2 million Canadians, 17 million Americans. Sure. Whatever. They're just numbers. But I don't feel the numbers in my bones the same way I do when I'm on a Zoom call, hearing a real live person's story. I got involved, uh, attended uh, Zoom video meetings uh, twice a month, and uh, it's, it's helped. Um, met a lot of great people from across the country and across the world and learn different strategies. Uh, people share their stories of success and struggle. And it really is kind of a, a family of a, of a community. It's, uh, it's people who are working together to help each other to overcome this disorder that, do that doesn't really have um, a, a clear treatment uh, or, or a clear um, path to, to get help in, in a way other than a support group. I'm going to let one more person introduce themselves here. Sure. Yes. Well, hi, Jason. I'm so happy to be chatting with you. And uh, my name is Lauren, Lauren McKinney. Um, and I have dermatillomania, uh, also known as skin picking disorder. Um, and it, I've had my BFRB for, gosh, um, 29 years now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is there a, um, are you going to have a celebratory 30-year <laughs> party? <laughs> we hit three decades, yeah. and I'm going. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I just might do that. <laughs> 30 years is no joke. Lauren, how has your relationship to picking changed in that time? Yeah, um, I would say my big change for me with my skin picking came, I mean, I'm someone who picked head to toe severely, polka dotted from all the sores and scars on my body. But there was one time where I landed in the hospital and I contracted MRSA, which is a life-taking bacteria, and um, almost lost my leg to this disorder, right? So it can be really life-pervasive. Uh, but what came out of that was that I learned there was a word for it, a term for it. I learned there was a diagnosis that I had and my entire, my identity changed because I felt like I got some of it back. I like literal pieces I picked apart. I felt like I got to put back together just by being able to say to people when they asked, oh, what's wrong with your skin? I could be like, well, I have dermatillomania. I, as soon as, honestly, as soon as I had a word, a term, I, I wanted a button, a t-shirt, a flag, 
I wanted to stand on a soapbox and shout about this disorder. And I really have not shut up since. And, <laughs> Thank goodness for you, Lauren. Thank goodness for you. So Lauren is the founder of the Picking Me Foundation that Eric and I attend. Again, I cannot say enough good things about this organization. Here, she's talking about what this community means to her. Community is honestly what saved me with this disorder. I think there's so much shame with having a BFRB. There's so much isolation for feeling like you're the only one who picks their skin like they do. And that moment you can connect to somebody else and someone else raises their hand or you, you just listen to them describing your thoughts you thought only you thought, it's magical. And it's like something I've craved since I was little with every club or every activity or sport or team or job. The communities and the connections I've created have, yes, been wonderful, but nothing like when I'm in a room or with my people that struggle the same way I do. And I think it's because we've all been missing it so much that it's so powerful when we come together and feel one another. Here's Eric contrasting his experience with professionals versus a community of peers. Uh, like even going to the dermatologist with my arms all scabbed up, they don't understand that there's a skin picking disorder a lot of the times. Um, and, and so that's a disconnect when they just say, Oh, well, you know, make sure not to pick this. And I'm like, well, that's going to be quite a challenge because I'm <laughs> someone who picks my skin all the time. So uh, that it, it prolongs the healing cycle. Um, it, it, it can add additional scarring. It can add um, raised uh, uh, patches on your skin from multiple picking times. And, um, it can be embarrassing. There can be a lot of shame around the disorder, which I experienced for many years. Um, but coming into a community where I can talk about it openly and freely has, has really reduced the amount of shame. And I've become sort of kind of an activist in trying to uh, get the message out to people who may not uh, know or feel comfortable that there, there, you know, there are more of us out there. The skin picking community uh, is here is here to help if, if you're someone who who suffers with that. So we're here for you. We're here for you. The openness, the safety, not needing to explain myself because others already know the same feeling. There's a safety in sharing, a place I don't need to hide. I am a person who needs an outlet of other people. So I, even if I'm excited, any type of emotion I feel, I want to tell like my five best friends. I want to call my dad. I want to call my brother. So I didn't feel like I had that until I was older where I could tell them about my trick. Yeah, my dad and brother, sure. But to be able to share so openly about my trick now with all of my close friends and everything, that's a sense of freedom I didn't have before. And so, yes, my, you know, false positivity of like, oh, don't even worry about it. You know, my brother shaved my eyebrows off, you know oh, I just really love dark eye makeup. You know, I would try to mask my tricks so bad that yes, in fact, it would make it worse because I would go to school. First, I would wake up, put on a ton of makeup, trying to mask this thing. The whole day I'm stressed out, wondering if people can look at me and notice. Are they looking at me to notice? Why are they looking at me? So that's my whole day. 
then I go home and I'm like, oh my gosh, like if someone did notice, forget it. Like that's whole, everything's ruined. But even if they didn't, the idea that they did, I go home, I take the makeup off, I pull more. Like it was like a mask is put on and off. Like at home, I have no eyelashes or eyebrows and my hair is missing. I'm so mad at that because I have to go to school and face these people the next day. And so it just is like kept getting worse and worse. And I didn't have someone to express myself to. Definitely made it worse. Definitely. This false positivity, this mask I was putting on for others, it also had the effect that I stunted my own growth. Without an outlet, I didn't really understand what was going on in my head. If anything, I was afraid to look inside. I was afraid of what I would find, afraid that there was something in there that was wrong, bad, different from thoughts other people thought. Where did I get that idea? I remember something my dad told me. Jason, don't spend too much time with sick people. He had this fear that their sadness would make me sad. I should instead spend time with healthy people, successful people, happy people. Sadness is a sickness. It's not a sickness. It's an emotion. They are very different things. It's a way of processing, regulating, to understand what is going on. I guess I've come full circle, though. I agree with you, Dad. I want to spend time with healthy people. People with emotional fluency. People who will help me understand myself and push me to a better version. It's only in community I feel safe to explore the dark cave of my own thoughts. It's funny how we can be right and wrong about something at the same time. The Lauren I get to know now, um, who is considerate of her BFRP, is so much more the Lauren I want to know in general it's hard for me to to pinpoint when it shifted. And I, and I don't think it was a certain moment or a certain thing I did. I do think it was kind of a community effort in a ways too. I would say um, a huge component is relating to others, being able to be in a support group, chat, talk, run the support group, you know, think about the, the members and, and really experience empathy of the disorder of, with others and for others. That's really helped me channel some of that inwards as well. I want to sneak in one more person. Here's Gordon, who you heard on a previous episode, to speak about this. I just love his perspective on the power of groups. I, I don't quite know what the power of groups is, but I know that it has it has that kind of effect. We did a special men's group in December we had originally not planned to do one last December because of holidays and stuff like that, but we decided to do one because like enough people were interested and we as the co-facilitators felt that it would be important to provide that space. And, you know, we do at the end of the group, we do goals, practicing small manageable goals. The goal that I set that evening eventually was the kind of starting point of shifting seasons from my eyebrows into my my nails, as it were, meaning that my eyebrows were able to grow back fully. So in a sense, it was having that group and the opportunity to make that commitment. Yeah, there's power in making commitment in in community. It's what a wedding is. 
like you're making a com- you're making that commitment in the company of family and friends. You know, they are witnesses to to what you are committing to. And I think there is like a again, I think it takes like putting energy into it, really believing in a sense, but acting on that belief and trying out a commitment. Um, and I think that's it, it's the it's the beginning of behavioral change. If you're listening to this and you're still nervous, maybe you've never attended a group before. And I get it. It's scary. I will say what I love about the BFRB community is that it's self-selecting. This is what Lauren has observed. I think all of us with BFRBs have some strong characteristics. think, if I may be so brash to say, I think some of them are, we are incredibly empathetic, wearing our hearts on our sleeves or do anything for others. We're sensitive. We're perfectionistic. We're going to do something. We're going to get it done and we're going to get it done right and usually be the ones to like, you know, take care of it. Basically, it's filled with just the nicest people. Lauren has a little bit more to say about this perfectionist characteristic that people with BFRBs seem to share. And that quality, I think, relates a lot to the um, the goal setting for me. I think my goal, just without me having saying, my goal is to stop picking, was for 29 years to stop picking. But when I took that kind of achievement behavior, seeking achievement behavior, and put in small goals, these mini goals, uh, I could experience the wins that I, I think I was seeking. Last year, I volunteered to be a math tutor with a local organization. The intake interview was surprisingly intense. It was like an hour and a half. And one of the questions was, describe a time when a relationship ended. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, I guess with my last girlfriend. And then the interviewer was like, no, no, no. Like, you don't have to talk about that if you don't want to. And then I'm like, oh, like. What do you expect with a question like that? Um, One of the other questions was, you know, describe how one of your relationships has changed significantly over time. You know, ending this episode, I'm reminded again of that interview. It's strange to track how, you know, they've changed from high school, maybe a friend moved across the country, transitioned into work or career changes even just new hobbies, and how they end when what we want changes or we realize things about ourselves. Who are the people that I see just out of convenience, and who are the ones I make an effort to keep in touch with? Something I'm still learning is that relationships take work. It's something I've always heard, but not necessarily something I've always understood. What does it mean to quote-unquote work on relationships? I guess COVID has really shed some light on this since we can't just bump into people anymore. I'm learning how to be a part of a relationship, to show up and participate. It's a lot of work. And yeah, maybe I'll doubt myself sometimes. Like, is it worth it? It's been easier for my mind to see productivity in the work setting, to measure success through output and deliverables. A's on tests, money in my bank account. Being on this mental health journey, maybe growing up in general, 
I'm seeing that building relationships is the work. Relationships with others. Relationships with ourselves. I get messages a lot where people will ask me, like, how do I stop? And I'm like, look, you know, I haven't. You know, I think because I have, like, I'm like, I wrote the book. I'm so proud of the book. I wear, I have the book everywhere. I wear the book. Like I'm so, I have a tattoo of the book. You know, I, oh. <laughs> yeah, my first tattoo. I am so proud and so happy to be on this journey that I think people forget where I started. It's the capital B big question with BFRBs. How do you stop? I don't have the answer. But being in community, it's a start. I think so. I think finally I can be my truest self. I can be myself. I can still love myself as my truest self. You know, it's all tied together now. I can talk to you. I can talk to people. I can write a book. You know, I can do all these things because the love is there, right? Like I feel loved by others and I love me too because I see what they see. And for a long time I didn't, right? And I'm blessed to have people who reassure me when I don't see it. You know, like Dan, my boyfriend, he met me when I wasn't pulling at the time. So I, when I told him, I had no like physical evidence. Like he, he was just like, okay, cool. Like he understood. Um, and so through his reassurance of seeing me at my worst and still somehow like, he, you know, the way I say it right now, somehow, but he truly believes that I'm beautiful with or without. And I needed that reassurance and I, I needed it to hear from him, from the people that I love. So it wasn't like, you know, my self-love and all that. I needed resources. I needed people to help me understand. And so now that I have that, I'm like, yo, you know, this is me. I'm the best, you know, like I, I feel that way, you know, um, as far as like my, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a happy person. I have a, my default state is pretty happy. I get excited about like the littlest things. Like you could say like, Oh, look at that pretty flower here. I got it for you. And I'm like, yes. And I literally will dry the flower and I will keep it. Cause I have like all of the flowers Dan has gotten me in a bag, like dried out. So, um, I try to find the joy in everything. And so when I was struggling so deeply with my trick and like my whole sense of identity and self love and all of that, I felt like I was just obsessing over that. You know, I love to obsess over the things that I enjoy. Well, now this thing is totally consuming me in every sense of the way. And now I'm so negative. Like even I think I had taken a picture in college and I was happy in college, but I was, I took a picture like a school picture and I had the same color hair. So I was all excited to do like a, you know, here's me at 20, here's me at 28. And everybody who I showed that picture to, they're like, your eyes look different. Like you look happier now. And I'm like, oh, so even then when you think you're happy, you're like not as happy as you can be. You know what I mean? But it was so interesting to hear. I thought, oh, I was so happy then. But no, now I'm like super free, super loved, super happy. I've always been a, a storyteller. I, I love um, I love talking. I love sharing. I love writing. Uh, I used to make movies and, you know, do a little comedy. And just the one story I never took on, I never told was my, that and my skin picking disorder, you know? So it's like once I stepped into that, that's really where I, I found my power. I, I like to say my purpose picked me. 
Well, friends, that's another episode. Thank you so much for listening. As we've covered today, we want to hear from you. We want to meet you. Come hang out with me and Eric in Lauren's Picking Me support group. Read Barbara's book, The Trickster Diaries. If you're overwhelmed, intimidated, don't know where to start, be like Barbara. Make a new private anonymous account and email us at fidgetpodcasts at gmail.com. Let's chat. First initial, not required. Thanks to Cheyenne for making our logo. You can check out her work at Skin Picking Illustrator on Instagram and Thomas for the music. And until next time, stay tuned.